The following is Beth Koloski's talk, Discombobulation, Fire-Breathing Dragons, and Wet Noodles, Creating Productive Workshops in Scary Situations from the 2011 Information Architecture Summit. The 2011 IA Summit podcasts are brought to you by UIE's User Experience Training Library with scores of online seminars your team can access on demand. Hear the field's top experts on timely topics and the current design challenges you're facing. Get a free UIE virtual seminar at uie.com slash IAS11. Okay, so we're here today to talk about workshops and dealing with scary situations that come up in workshops. Before we get started, I want to ask you all a favor, which is if you could just really quickly introduce yourself to the person to your left and to your right if you haven't met before. When you're done, look back up here. Okay, I know this is fun, but now I'm going to cut that part off. <laughs> Who just met someone new? Yay, good. You're all way ahead of me then. Um, I'm Beth Koloski. I'm a lead experience architect at a company here in Denver called Effective UI. We are actually just across town, over by the ballpark, if you know downtown at all. I'm really lucky. I realized this morning as I was sitting in another session because I am definitely not a department of one. I'm one person in a company of 100 passionate user experience designers, developers, and researchers, which is really awesome. I'm throwing that out because we are looking for people, so I want to plant that seed in your brain today. I wanted to talk about this today because I've been doing this for 10 plus years now and always in an agency type setting, so I'm gonna talk about clients and whatnot. It might be internal stakeholders for you. But I've always been really interested in collaborating with my clients and co-creating and getting them more involved in the design process and not pushing my designs on them, but making them believe in it and co-own it with me. So I've always been working workshops into my process and leading them, and two things have definitely occurred. One is that I've most definitely had the experience of walking out at the end of the day and thinking, that was okay, it wasn't great, didn't really feel like we moved the needle that far, we all survived, no one threw tomatoes or anything, but you know, I was hoping to get more out of that. And I've also definitely had the experience of the night before that, ugh, what if I get there and no one wants to participate? What if there's that really mean, crabby person in the room? What if there's the guy in the room who prevents everyone else from talking? How am I gonna deal with these things? And because I'm highly, highly motivated by dread and anxiety, that led me to read a whole lot of websites that all seem to look like this. I'm not sure what it is about the facilitation world, and I really hope no one in here is responsible for any of these. They tend to look a little dated. I don't know why. Nonetheless, there's lots of great, great information out there about facilitation that you can learn. So I learned some of it, and I'm hardly an expert still. I'm still learning myself, but wanted to share the things I have learned with you and also get your help in all of us learning together. So today's objective. 
I propose is to get ideas for dealing with scary situations and workshops. Hopefully, you might want to feel more comfortable going into your next workshop. And we're going to briefly share a few ideas for design workshop activities just really quickly. So if you are bought into this objective, if that's why you're in the room today, do me a favor, stand up. I know it's a pain. <laughs> I know you have your stuff out and it's in your lap. Just go ahead and stand up if this is more or less why you bothered to walk into this session today. I'll assume anyone who's not just never got up from the last session. They're just resting and working. So you're all pretty much here for the same reason. Whoever's willing to help make sure we meet this objective collectively, don't worry, I'm not going to ask you anything too hard. If you're willing to try to help, could you remain standing for me, please? If you are unwilling, go ahead and sit down. But if you're willing to try to help, if you're able, okay, great. So now we've got, I don't know, 60, 70 people all here today to help make sure we all get the same objective accomplished. Thank you. You can all sit. So there's two things I'm going to ask of you to help make sure we meet the objective. One is, as I'm talking about this, you are probably going to think of some of your own experiences and ways you've met similar challenges. You probably have some ideas and tips of your own. Please go ahead and use that if you are a tweeter. I am not, personally. And I'm going to ask at the end, rather than do the regular Q&A, though I will stay after after if you want to actually ask me questions, I'm going to ask all of you to share your experiences instead of the traditional Q&A. So just think about that as I'm talking today. If you have some ideas, I'd love it for you to share them with the group at the end. So let's get into this. Scary things. Any of these feel familiar to anyone? Anyone ever felt any of these as they went into their workshop? See a few nodding heads, a few more nodding heads. Okay. Those are most of the ones we're going to talk about today, so if you have different ones, sorry. Let's talk about tackling them. If you only come away with one thing today, I'm going to say it's this next concept of what you're doing when you're facilitating a workshop, what your role is. Your role has two parts. One part is what I call owning the process or being like the traffic cop. You might have seen this on the news. This is this 11-year-old kid in Libya who noticed that, I guess, the normal traffic cop was off, you know, fighting an insurrection. So he put on his green vest, which he found somewhere, and he stepped in and he started directing traffic. And lo and behold, the cars followed his direction. So that's a big part of what you're doing is just managing traffic. You got to be the one who says, stop, go, let's go this way. A couple easy ways to do this, this isn't hard, are simply when people walk in the room in the morning, say, hi, I'm Beth. I'm going to be leading our session today. So state that you're going to be leading it and then actually do it. That means you have to follow through the rest of the day. You can't give up halfway through and just sit down at the table and sort of fall asleep. Standing also when it's the part of the workshop where you're actually directing the activities, you need to be standing up so that people know who to look at, who the traffic 
cop is. If you don't do this, which you can choose to skip, but what typically happens is if you don't do it, someone else either steps in and becomes the traffic cop, and it's usually that loud dominator in the room who tends to dominate every conversation, or no one steps in and manages it. And that's usually when you get to the end of the day and you're like, eh, that was okay, we filled a lot of airtime, but we didn't really get where we wanted to go. So be the traffic cop, but you need to share ownership for the outcome. So these are Quakers. They're all about consensus. You can see they're getting in there and arguing things out. You need to make sure everyone else in the room is bought into the reason they're there today. If they're not bought into the reason they're there, they're not going to care about the outcome. So you may have noticed a little bit earlier, we went through a very quick thing to see if we're all in the room for the same reason. And more or less, we are. So that's good. We're in good shape. If we weren't, though, that would be the point where we could talk about that more and make sure we have an objective that actually matches with who's in the room. If we don't, we're not going to get anywhere. And if we don't, we're going to get to the end of the day. And again, we may have filled a lot of airtime. We may have made a lot of post-it notes. But we're not really accomplishing anything. So a few tactical things. Wet noodles, those are the non-participators or single non-participators. So dealing with non-participators is actually not that hard. I have found a few of the ways you might not have thought of before if you've had this experience. Most of us naturally just ask that person a direct question, kind of try to draw them out. Another idea is that you can solicit help. So the other people in the workshop who are the eager beavers, ask them on a break, hey, can you make sure that sleeping Sam over here is really participating in our next segment. So harness the help of the other people in the room. You don't need to do all the tasks yourself. You just need to be the traffic cop and make sure they're happening. So helping draw out a silent participant is one of those things you can get help for. The thing I usually do and tend to do a lot is just to provide a structure. And again, this isn't hard. You can do this even if you haven't prepped anything. You haven't brought any materials. You completely forgot. You just showed up. So instead of just saying, now let's all talk about this, provide a structure for talking about it. So that could be have people pair together and then discuss and then report back to the group. I almost always do sticky exercises. So something as simple as, all right, everyone write down three ideas about this topic. Then we'll post them. Then we'll talk about them. These kind of things naturally distribute the airtime so that you don't have to be like trying to shut a person down or trying to bring another person out. It just happens naturally as you structure the time. Design games and activities we'll touch on a little bit at the end too, but that's the fun part, coming up with those and using those. So what happens sometimes is, of course, you've got your activity. This is Joel, he works with us. He was leading a workshop with a electronics retailer. And what he wanted to do was basically facilitate the home page war 
real estate war, right? All the different departments wanted their chunk of the homepage. And he was like, okay, I'll bring everyone together and I'll make a big homepage and we'll physically stake out territory, basically. So he did that and it went okay. You know, some people kind of talked, but he noticed that he wasn't really getting the level of participation he hoped for. People were not really as willing to battle it out as he thought they were going to be. So if you find that's happening, you feel like you're running the exercise, but you're getting the sense that people aren't really engaging in it. A couple ideas to deal with that are, probably the easiest is break it down into smaller groups and do stuff that's more hands-on. So he had all the materials in his hands. He controlled the board, right? But as soon as people have the board in their hands, it's much easier for them to engage more actively. And also, once you break things down into smaller groups, people are more likely to engage at a higher level because it's really hard when you're just sitting with one or two other people to sort of check out and just lean against the wall and not actively participate. So that's a really easy way if you find your activities not really getting there. A couple others you might not have thought of are just to ask the group what's blocking. Hey, everyone, seems like you're not really getting into this. What's going on? What should we do? And you may find an interesting answer. It may not be what you expect. They may be thinking, well, none of this matters because it's Mr. CEO who's going to decide ultimately anyway, right? Whatever it is, that's at least something you can work with. Okay, so why don't we be the advisory board to Mr. CEO. Let's duke it out and come up with our advice and present it to the final decider. You may also want to just check the initial objectives. If people aren't participating, they may feel like you've either met the objective or you're just sort of off on a tangent that they don't care about. So they might not be participating just because it doesn't feel like there's a point to it. All right, let's get to more difficult. These are the ones I dread. The dominator. The basics for dealing with excessive talkers are, for me, really very much the same as dealing with low participators. You can really use most of the same methods. So structuring the time, using design activities, error time limits, you know, giving everyone three stickies. That just naturally distributes the amount of air time everyone has. So that's sort of the basic one. But, and you get these people who are a little bit more difficult. So this is John, he works with us. John was leading a workshop recently where he had the crabby usability lady in the workshop. We have any crabby usability ladies here? So she was just kvetching and moaning and complaining and on her soapbox and everyone else was like, oh, can we please you know, move on, we've heard this, this is painful, this isn't fun, this isn't productive. So what John did and what worked really well is, again, he didn't try to hope this lady just disappeared. She wasn't gonna disappear. He and the other person he was running the workshop with gave her a lot of extra attention. And they did it, as soon as they took a break, the first thing they did was they both ran over to her basically, and listened to her and validated all of her concerns. 
and made sure she felt heard. And this really worked. By the end of the workshop, the angry lady was totally on board, super excited. She just needed that extra level of validation. And they gave it to her, but they gave it to her in a way that didn't disrupt the whole workshop. It didn't give her all the airtime. They did it on break, right? So they were able to keep the workshop overall going and productive without stopping it just to deal with negative Nelly lady. OK, so this is probably one of the worst things I fear when I go in. It's like, what if I go in and all of a sudden the VP says, I don't know why we're talking about all this. This is Michael. He works with us. He had this experience. So he had his three-day workshop planned, all excited. He's got all his activities, his agenda, post-it notes. And he goes in, and within the first 20 minutes, the main stakeholder says something to the effect of, well, you don't need to hear all this. I'll just tell you. I'll just give you the information, and then we'll be done. So what do you do in that situation? There's a couple things. Probably the most important one is actually before you get into the workshop, is talking to that main stakeholder, knowing who the person is who can shut it down, and then talking to that person about what's going to happen and what your expectations are for the workshop. If they don't actually know that you're expecting people to participate and collaborate, you just assume that because you work in a collaborative environment, you could be in for a lot of trouble. That could end poorly. So make sure you're talking to that person beforehand. In spite of that, even when we do that, sometimes you get in there and for whatever reason, it happens anyway. So what you want to do is, again, restate your need to hear from everyone. And you need to basically ask Bob to give everyone else permission to speak. So you might want to do this on a break. OK, great. We've heard from Bob. Let's take a break and go talk to Bob. Try to get his buy-in and say, Bob, I need you to tell everyone that it's OK for them to participate. Because they've already been shut down. They're not going to start back up unless they hear from Bob now. It doesn't really matter what you say at that point. Bob has taken the reins, and he's told them not to talk. So when you come back in, if you can get him to agree, Bob has to say, hey, everyone, we talked on the break, and I want to make sure you all know I do really want to hear what you have to say, and I want you to participate today. I got a little excited there, and I said a lot of stuff, but please talk. You can also try, if that doesn't work or it's not seeming to work, a short-term solution. So maybe Bob's not ready to commit to the whole three days, but you can say, I know this is a little different, Bob, but let's try 45 minutes. Give me 45 minutes, and then at the end, I'm going to check in with you and see how this is going, see if this is working for you or not. So get a foot in the door. This is Shivani. I work with Shivani. She's just as delightful as she looks. She had an experience at an agency that will remain nameless where her first day, at their new job, she basically was given a workshop to run because the person who was originally supposed to run it was out sick, right? And so they thought, well, Shivani's coming, and she's really smart. She knows how to run workshops. We'll just put Shivani on it. That'll be fine. And that might have been fine, except it turned out this client was yellers. So they were yelling at Shivani and the other person running the workshop. They were yelling obscenities at one another. 
basically everything that could go wrong kind of did go wrong in this workshop. So while these next two may have not totally prevented that, there are some things that could have probably helped prevent that situation from occurring. Again, we've talked about setting expectations, understanding what their desires are for that time you're gonna to spend together. A couple more you might not have thought of are just to invite participants, by which I don't mean just send a calendar invite that blocks out three days of their week when they still have 40 hours of work to do and all of a sudden you've shoehorned in another eight hours, another 16 hours, another 24 hours of time they're supposed to sit in a room. But actually invite them, let them know what you're planning to do, what the expectation is for them that day, why it's important they're there. Try to get them excited beforehand. And thinking about rescheduling if needed, it probably would have gone better if the person who already knew this client, knew their expectations, knew their working style. If they had been in the room, it still might have been a bit difficult. It sounded like they were just a difficult client, but they at least knew what had been discussed before, what the client thought was gonna happen. So just reschedule if you need to, if the right people are not available. Opening the day is a big part of setting that too. I hate when I walk into a workshop and it looks like this, everyone's got their computer open. So I always ask people to put them away. If you can't get buy-in on that or they can't stop you know, blackberrying or whatever, if you can't get buy-in on that, what you need to do is say, okay, I understand some of you have need to be on email a lot or whatever. What we're gonna do is schedule that into more frequent breaks throughout the day. So don't let them sit there with their machine open the whole day unless somehow it actually works with what you're planning to do. Get them to close it and you might have to break every half hour, 45 minutes and let people check their email. But that's better than just letting them half participate the whole time. So you gotta tell people how you want them to behave. Another one you can try is, I was talking to one of our PR ladies at Effective UI and she suggested, I haven't tried this one before, what she does is have everyone write down when they first get in all the other things they should be doing that day or that couple of hours or whatever, however long it is. And then she takes them and she puts them outside. And that way everyone has a chance to both express but also put aside all the things that are clouding their brain and making them feel distracted. So you want to open your day with these things. Again, that might not have totally prevented Shivani's day from going the way it did, but some of those might have helped. All right, what if you just can't get them to change their mind? They're just stuck in their ways and they have no interest in really changing. I don't know if any of you have ever had this one. I always have the one where they always want people to register for the site even if there's no reason. Well, we want them to register. We want their information. You're like, please, don't make them register. So I've tried to argue against that one with more or less success so many times. And one of the things that is helpful for me to think about is to not just attack the idea. That's the first one most of us go for, right? You don't want people to have to register. I'll tell you why. There's a place for that, but also there's definitely a place for trying to get them to change their own minds. If they change their own minds, that idea is much more likely to stick than if you just change their mind. So 
A couple ways to do that are to have them argue from the other perspective. Just force them to switch sides and argue with you that way. Also make sure you have the right participants in the room. Sometimes they won't change their mind because it's not actually them who decides. It's actually the VP of IT or something like that. So they may not be willing to engage in an argument about something they don't have control over. So double check on that if you're finding that. Again, that's why you'd want to ask, what's preventing us from making progress here on this topic? Okay. So building consensus and deciding, that's always a big part of many workshops. These are just some real common ways of doing that. The one I find using the most is the stake in the ground or working agreement. Typically what I run into is we get bogged down and in the weeds there's different rationales for every decision and everyone is holding on to theirs, and it's hard to get 100% consensus, right? It's always hard. These are complex problems. There's a lot of different factors. But what I found useful is simply to ask if we can make a working agreement. Hey, everyone, this is a hard decision. Let's move forward with decision A for the next hour, for the next four hours, for the next day. And then I'll check in and see how that's working with everyone. So that gives people a way to, it's not the final decision, so it's okay, but we can move forward and keep making progress. This is Joy, she works with us. She is our head of our research department. She's had this experience lately, so she's been running workshops to try to get everyone to agree on who are the different sets of users we should go talk to and interview, and what are those segments. And it's been really, really challenging is what she's found. She gets all these people in the room and she's doing all the activities and she's dot voting and she's stickifying and everything, but it's just not gelling. It's still all over the place. She's not coming up with patterns or consensus. So some of the things you might need to do when that happens, and it happens very frequently in my experience, again, asking who decides, that person may not be in the room it may not be a consensus organization, in which case probably the best you're gonna do is go to that, all right, then you guys are the advisory committee model. Okay, I understand that Fred decides, let's advise Fred, see if you can get Fred in the room also. You can ask what's standing in the way of deciding, it might be something else that you just don't know about and it doesn't occur to them just to tell you. You can also ask if consensus is needed. A lot of us like consensus, I do. We want consensus, it's sort of this holy grail, this vision, we'll all move forward with great joy and arms locked. But it's not always needed. Sometimes it's good enough to get people's views aired and they just wanna be heard as much as come to perfect agreement. So it's okay to address that, it's okay to not have consensus if everyone else agrees to that, if your group agrees to that. In Joy's case, probably what she needs to do is she actually probably needs to go backwards, and that's what she's decided, is that she's trying to build consensus before people in the organization have even had a time to share how they talk about users. They don't even use the same language. They don't even know what the other groups are talking about, because it's these big corporate organizations with all these departments, people never actually talk to each other. So she's realized she needs to go back and do more information to sharing 
and norming before she can get to consensus. And that's not uncommon for that to happen. Good old managing time is always a good one. These are just sort of some of the basics. I'm not even going to talk about those. I am going to talk about what happens when you're doing what you're supposed to do to manage time. You've got your parking lot and all that. But you're still running over. And this happens all the time. <laughs> this happens to me probably every time I run a workshop, to be honest. So when that's happening, again, this is where you want to be the traffic cop and acknowledge what's going on. But you don't have to be the decider of how to deal with that. You want to share that decision with the group. So you want to ask them how they want to deal with it. Do we want to continue this later? Do we want to just time box it and get what we can out of it, and then that'll be good enough? Do we not even care? Do we want to move on? Do we want to try a different approach? You know, we may need to reschedule some other activities we had planned. Those are all valid decisions, and you don't have to make those. You want to make those with the people in the session with you. Okay, this is my number one thing I would take away, if nothing else. Does anybody know elephant and piggy? You don't have kids? No kids? All right, you got to get elephant piggy books. They're really good. So elephant has a bird family on his head, and he does not want to have a bird family on his head. So he's talking to his friend Piggy, and Piggy says, why not just ask them to leave? And elephant is amazed at this idea. Just ask them? Piggy tells him to ask them. So he asks the birds to leave, and they do leave. So. No matter what goes wrong, this is what you can always fall back on. Acknowledge what's happening. It doesn't matter what it is. It might be, hey, it looks like everyone is on their Blackberries. May I suggest we take a break for five minutes and then reconvene? It may be that people are yelling at one another. Whatever it is, acknowledge what's going on. That's the most important part, because most people are reluctant to do that, to call that time out. And then you can suggest a solution and just ask the group. Even if you don't have a suggested solution, you can ask the group. Hey, everyone, this doesn't seem to be working. What should we do? That's OK to do. And a lot of us, when we're up in front of the room, we feel like, OK, I'm in front of the room. I have to know all the answers. And I have to make all the decisions. You don't. That's that balance between the traffic cop and sharing ownership. It's enough to be the one who says, it's not working. Let's fix it. Usually, what we all want to do is, sort of just go along and hope it doesn't get worse and kind of get to 5 o'clock and have a beer. So don't do that. Ask. OK, I just want to share a very, very, very few of my favored activities. And you will see how dead simple they are. You guys may be doing much more exciting, sophisticated ones. These are just some I keep going back to over and over. Whenever I have something like we just all sat in a usability session together all day, or we have some survey results, or whatever it is, we have some evidence from users. Very, very simple but effective. Just go around the room and ask everyone what stood out most from them. Because usually what I think is the most important thing, what I got out of it, isn't necessarily what they got out of it. And if they're getting something else out of it, we're definitely never all going to make forward progress together. I'm off solving some problem they don't even care about. So we need to just talk about what we hurt, first of all. So super simple, but useful. This one comes from Dave Gray, who's 
book I'm going to pitch to you later, even though I have nothing to do with it. I just think it's good. The empathy map is really a great, simple activity for getting people to think like users, get inside their heads more. So you just come up with your, say, three, four different user types. This one happens to be VP of sales. And have all the participants help fill in what that person is probably thinking, hearing, seeing, saying, and doing. And just by doing that, it takes them out of that outside looking in at users role to inside looking out. And it really helps switch their mindset, I found. It's worked much better than I even anticipated it would, which is always good. You want those kind of activities. Another one we do a lot, again, so simple. You can pretty much do it whether you remember to bring any stuff or not, is just to take each of your user types, and we do what we call a four square on them. So this is more thinking about users from the outside again. And to have participants help fill in each of these, their goals, their triggers, meaning triggers for using your site you're working on, your app, whatever it is you're working on and things they would find compelling in that and things they would not find compelling in that. So again, very simple, but I've found it works well with clients. It's something they can grasp and immediately start helping with. And probably simplest of all, just voting. You can use those little dots, you can use post-it notes, but an important step in understanding are people coming together on the same page? Do we have totally divergent opinions about the importance of different things? Let's figure that out. So have people vote. Here's the book I said I was going to recommend to you. I have nothing to do with this book. If you ever have a chance to see Dave Gray speak, he's really good. And it's just got a lot of great design activities if you are running workshops with any kind of design aspect to them. I recommend that. And what I'd like to do now is again, I want to get your tips for running workshops, things you may have come up with. So in one second, I'm going to ask anyone who's willing to share something to just stand up. Real quick before I do that, again, I did mention we're always looking for good people. You can talk to me if you have an interest in just chatting, but you can also talk to Elias. Elias is right here. He would be happy to talk with you about that after this or anytime today. And with that, I would like to see if anyone who is willing to share one of their ideas for workshops something they've done before. A small addition. I know the role of traffic cop, and maybe there is another very useful role of a coordinator, the person who sits among the other persons and helps this traffic cop to wrote the whole discussion in the specific way. There are two persons who, who lead the discussion coordinator and the person who stands and leads the discussion. Cool. 
I was going to share one thing, which is another Dave Gray thing. I was at UX Book Club London a couple of months ago, and we were going through game storming, and Dave Gray came over Skype. And one of the participants complained that she hadn't been able to get people in one of her workshops to make enough progress. And Dave's response to that was, you know, that what progress looks like to you may not always be what progress looks like to them. And that you may think, oh, you know, we haven't really moved them from their previous mindset very far, when in fact, you know, just a little change to you is massive for them. And I thought that was really wise. And, you know, it's given me a, some perspective on the workshops I've run since. Yeah, that's a great one. I was going to say, I mean, it depends on the size of the workshop, but one of the things that I always try and do is break whatever size group into groups of three and have them do a discussion and report back, but also circle around the room to try and spot if in any of the groups there's a loud person who's dominating a quiet person and make a note of that so next time you do it, you swap the groups around so that you can take the quiet person away from the loud person and give them more of an opportunity. And the other thing that I tweeted is everybody loves a facilitator who brings chocolate. <laughs> Hi, great. In some difficult situations, usually when people come in, what I'll do is try to do an ego exercise where everybody has a little ego card and then at the end we all walk it out and set it aside. And that allows everybody to realize, you know, we're all coming with these preconceived notions. We do in fact all have an ego and, you know, maybe have an opinion about the design or the IA. And if you can just let that go at the door, it makes it more collaborative. Wait, so what's on the ego card? It's just like... Ego, or they write something on it, as it work? Ego, or you can also do it where you're like, I'm quiet, or I have an opinion, <laughs> I'm the loud talker. It depends on how well you know the people that are in the group. Okay. So if people already know that they have these preconceived, you know, this person's always the talker, we can make a bit of a joke out of it, because it right. make it light, it's not as, yep. you know, he'll own that card. Gotcha. And then he'll be a little likely to not be the dominator. Yep. <laughs> Great. My experience comes from, honestly, just working with middle school and junior high kids for about 20 years. I've gotten pretty good over the years of reading a room, and if I see someone who's the dominant or antsy or anxious one, and I see the one who's quiet and reserved, similar to, we actually had lunch the other day, I think it was Yuri, but I give them jobs. Mm -hmm. So the dominant one, here's a piece of chalk or a, a marker. I need you to write things down that are said. So it gives him participation or her participation in the room. And the same thing with the quiet one, you know, ask them, directly an opinion at some point and ask them to maybe collect others' opinions so that, again, that they're kind of drawn out and have a role in the room. This might work better for small groups where there's already rapport, but I found that if people are sort of off track and all they can focus on is how demoralized they are, it can be effective to like sympathize, then make a joke and get people laughing, and then from the joke get like a silly idea that's like stupid, and then from then move on to more useful ideas. Do one more, last one, and then you guys have to post your other ideas, please. This is a variation on the ego card, which is to have everybody sort of write down their workshop persona description on a card at the very, very beginning, something short. I hold on to those, and then either if there's, you know, a stalemate at some point or in the afternoon after lunch when everybody's half asleep, Everybody picks a card at random, and for 30 minutes or an hour or something, some short period of time, that's the persona they are responsible for undertaking for the rest of the discussion. But the time limit I find is good because especially if you get somebody who's 
I'm the quiet one. If you suddenly tell them for the rest of the day they need to be the loud one, they're going to shut down. So the dominant one will not be able to hold themselves still for that long. So the time limit is helpful. Excellent. Thank you, guys. Why don't we go ahead and wrap it up there. I really appreciate you coming. And enjoy the rest of your time here in Denver. Thanks. Thanks for listening to this podcast from the 2011 IA Summit. For more great user experience design content, visit UIE.com and sign up for our free newsletter, UIE Tips. Thank you.